You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is Matt Breckwald, your host, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, we are going to have Dave Ferris from Cargill back on the show today. And quite honestly, when we sat down to do our interview, he had so much good information that we decided to split it into two episodes. So in our first episode with Dave, we talked about taking care of your larger livestock in cold weather and these harsh winter conditions that we have and had been having all this year in Oregon and Idaho. And in this episode, we're going to talk more about smaller animals and things we can do to take care of them during those weather conditions. And don't forget to tune in at the end of our interview with Dave for bonus content. Our bonus content today will be an interview with Shelly Paxton, who is a large animal buyer for DNB Supply, continuing on about the same exact topic that is just so relevant with the winter that we have had. And as I look outside now, I see everything's kind of starting to melt, and we've kind of started to break out of this harsh winter. But man, what great information that'll last with you for every winter here to come. So let's get into that interview right after a word from our sponsors. There's a price you pay to get away, to live outside the bounds. When you love your dogs and cats like members of the family, you feed them like family too. Dish out the best nutrition for your furry little friends with Blue Pet Food, available at D&B Supply. Made with high-quality natural ingredients, Plus life source bits with active nutrients and antioxidants, Blue starts every dog and cat food recipe with real meat, then adds in garden vegetables and antioxidant-rich fruit. Blue Pet Food does not contain artificial flavors, colors, or preservatives. Plus, there's never any corn, wheat, or soy, and no chicken or poultry byproduct meals. All this care goes into every pet food bag, so your cats and dogs live happy, healthy lives. For every four-legged member of your family, stop on by D&B Supply for Blue Pet Food. The choice is D&B. They say legends aren't born, they're made. At Justin Boots, they're made to last, and that's why you can find this legendary Western footwear at D&B Supply. In 1879, Justin Boot Company mastered the craft of boot making. Then they spent the next century and a half perfecting it. Today, Justin Boots are still a U.S.-made tradition and an icon of Western culture. You can see the character of Justin Boots on the cowboys, cowgirls, horseback riders, and other folks who live and breathe the legacy of the West. Authentic, durable, and comfortable, Justin Boots are made of only the finest leathers and materials. You can spot the quality of the craftsmanship down to each individual stitch. From working on the ranch to riding on the trails to Saturday night on the town, Justin Boots are made for any occasion. Turns out authentic style makes a real impression, no matter what the venue. Fit for men, women, and kids alike. When you need to wear it well, Western style, stop on by D&B Supply for Justin Boots. Boots. With us again today is Dave Ferris from Cargill. And if you remember from our previous episode where Dave came on, he provided us with a ton of great information about nutrition and keeping animals warm and how to care for them. And we're going to continue on with some more of that today. So Dave, thank you so much for coming back. Hey, Matt, how you doing? It's great to be back. Look forward to uh, talking with you again today and, and, uh, helping out some people with their animals. <laughs> well, great. You know, you had, you're had you such a wealth of information. You had such great info that uh, one episode could not contain you. So, so happy to have you back and, and to bring even more great information to our listeners. Thanks, Matt. I'm happy to be here. Now, I want to ask you about small animals, you know, rabbits, guinea pigs, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. So when it comes to these smaller animals and keeping them warm, is there something we should be doing different? Well, it's funny that you bring up rabbits, for example. I had rabbits, raised rabbits, bred them, and sold the babies when I was a kid. So I, some people, I'm sure, probably have rabbits in, in the house. I've even seen, uh, you know, apparently you can train rabbits to use a litter box like a cat. Okay. But um, <laughs> I've not done that, but I have seen that that is apparently something you can do. Okay. So those animals are in the house. That's a whole other story. But most of us that have a rabbit, for example, it's going to be outside. Same idea, right? Wherever their cage is, they need they need some kind of a box or something they can get in with some kind of bedding. They'll curl up, plenty of food and fresh water. They'll be okay. They'll be fine. Your guinea pigs probably not an issue because they're gonna 
most likely be in the house, you know, even in, in, in the kid's bedroom. Mm-hmm. So those type of things aren't really an issue. This kind of weather isn't for them. But yeah, for if, you, if you're raising rabbits outside, that's the best thing you can do. A lot of them are in the, you know, the wire cages so that the droppings drop through the bottom. So they do need the ability to get in, a, in some kind of a box. Because if you think about that, if it doesn't have a solid bottom, the air circulating underneath right. is going to come right up underneath them. So they've got to have some kind of a little nesting box to get in and plenty of bedding so that they can make a little nest to keep themselves warm. And then they'll ball up in there and they'll be fine as long as they have all the food they need to help their body create that heat. Mm-hmm. And do you recommend things like uh, heat lamps under those circumstances? You know, that's a great question. I get that question all the time when it comes to especially chickens. My answer to that is, my personal answer to that is always no, for two reasons. When you get those heat lamps around animals, you know, obviously we're going to have, likely there's going to be some kind of straw or pine shavings Mm -hmm. and and wood, right? And, And there's always the potential that that could catch on fire, right? in the middle of the night or, or something, who knows? Sure. So there's, there's, there's one reason there. And then B, what I always say is if you raise the temperature, let's say inside your, your hen house, not in the, not in the coop at large, but inside the hen house at night, mm-hmm. then when they, when they step out of there and the temperature is really cold outside the hen house or outside the little bunny box or whatever, it's, you know, shockingly cold. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a shock to their system. It's much harder for them to regulate their body temperature when you are regulate or adding out an outside heat source. So I always prefer that you don't add those things. I think it's better for them to, to go about it naturally. They, they are animals that were intended to be outside. So as long as they have food and the ability to get some shelter, they're going to regulate their own body temperature. So I prefer not to add an external heat source for those reasons. Okay. Well, and, and I, just as an example, not, not to cut in on you there, but I, I was telling you about my chickens, you know, when it was 15 below right. out here last week, when I, they, my chickens do not have an added heat source. They have a, a heated water pan that their uh, water sits on so that it doesn't freeze, but it doesn't radiate heat. You know, it just keeps it from freezing. They're right. fine. There was snow in their coop, but they can get inside the hen house that's full of shavings and nesting boxes and they're fine. Absolutely fine. Okay. Well, that is a great segue into another question I've got for you on chickens. So Mm -hmm. the chickens are thriving. They're staying warm during this. They've got enough feed and all of that. But what about the eggs? Now, what I found Mm -hmm. is if I'm not out there collecting eggs right in in these extremely cold temperatures, if I'm not out there collecting eggs right when they're dropping them, and we've got a few hours between them dropping them and getting off of the eggs and me getting out there, I'm getting frozen eggs. Is there, yep. is there anything we can do to minimize that, I should say? I'm sure we can't avoid it altogether, but there's anything we could do to minimize that. Man, that is a, that is a tough one. I have had the exact same thing. Here's one of the things that I've noticed happened, happened in this weather. My chickens ha- are normally very regular about the time that they lay their eggs, mm-hmm. right? So I always know when to go gather them in the heat or any time because I don't, you don't ever really want the eggs just hanging out in the nesting box for normal fear that they could just get broken by the, by, you know, other chickens getting in there to lay on eggs that are already sitting there. So, but here's what I have noticed lately. Chickens lay eggs because they, they convert the feed into energy to, so that their body has the energy to, you know, create and lay their eggs. Well, with this cold, more of their energy goes into staying warm. So their egg laying has gotten, random, I guess. Mm -hmm. So at the normal time, I would go out and there might only be one egg there instead of the the three or four that I was used to gathering. So I had the same problem. Plenty of times I go out there, open the nest box, and there it is, an egg that's, you know, cracked open, frozen. Right. The, The best thing you can do about that is, as you pointed out, you try to gather them as quickly as you can. But you cannot beat Mother Nature in that in that sense. Right. That sense might might be where a heat lamp inside the hen house would help stop that from happening. You know, just bringing the temperature up even ten degrees in the in the hen house would help those eggs last a little longer because they're pretty hardy. Those eggs, you know, they can go a couple hours. Right. You can bring the egg in even if it's frozen, and it, and it'll be fine. But once it goes too long, right, then it cracks open. Yep. So I wish I had a great answer that there was something you could do. Gather the eggs as quickly <laughs> as you can. I mean, that's, that's the end result on that because there's just nothing you can do. If you're not home, what are you going to do? You're right. at work and they laid an egg. You're going to come home and find it 
find it broken. Just get them out there, out of there as quickly as you can is the best answer. You're going to have, you're going to lose some eggs this time of year for sure. All right. Well, I figured that might be the answer, but if there was a trick, I definitely wanted to know what it was. <laughs> now, I yeah, would... you can buy heated nest box pad. There's all kinds of things you can buy that is maybe helpful, but potentially frivolous, uh, you know, Sure. but the simplest might be, like you said, if you really are worried about that particular thing you could add that heat lamp inside just the hen house okay um that that would help okay now i along the same lines of chickens i want to ask you about this so this time of year we're not just dealing with cold temperatures not just dealing with snow but we're also dealing with really reduced daylight hours so mm-hmm. let's talk about artificial light for a second does that how much does mm-hmm. that help with with maintaining or keeping up your egg laying production Absolutely. I mean, it, it has everything to do with it. The, the chicken's natural cycle is that in the fall, when the days start getting shorter, if they were in the wild, they would stop laying eggs, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they have no need to try to hatch babies in the middle of the winter. So it's very natural for chickens to either back off or completely stop laying in the late fall through the winter. So the artificial light, uh, a chicken needs, you know, at least 12, you know, 12 to 13, 14 hours of daylight every day to maintain a laying cycle. So, yes, adding artificial light will help regulate them and keep them laying when the days are shorter. Absolutely true. Now, the trick to that is a lot of people misunderstand that and put a light on their chickens. All You know, as soon as the sun goes down, the light comes on and it's on all night long. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't want that either. What we really what we really want is to let the chickens go to bed naturally. They as the sun goes down, they go into their to to roost basically to sleep. What we want to do is if we know, for example, you know the shortest day of the year, December twenty first or twenty second, whatever that is. There's only eight hours of daylight. Mm-hmm. Well, we know for a fact that they need at least twelve hours. So we want to let the chickens go to bed normally, but we'll wake them up early in the morning, four hours before sunrise, with that light coming on, just a light bulb, not a heat lamp. Mm-hmm. So. You could put a heat, or excuse me, a light bulb on just on a timer that will come on and wake them up, and that that would be all it would need, and then it would go off, you know, four or five hours later when the sun was up, and that would regulate their daylight and keep them laying. Except in super extreme conditions like what we have right now, right? Their okay. laying might get irregular. There's just no getting around it because more of their energy goes into staying warm than to producing eggs. Okay, that's a you know, that's a survival instinct. There's not much you can do about that. But it's really the daylight, not the cold, until it gets extreme like this that, that causes them to back off laying. People always think it's the cold, but it's really not. It's it's the daylight hours. Okay. So just to recap this on, on the chicken. So artificial light is recommended, and you're saying 12 to 14 hours of, of light they need per day to keep laying. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. And it is better... That they that when the sun goes down, it gets dark in the hen house as well, and that the light comes on early in the morning hours, not stays on after sunset. Correct. Yeah, we need to let them with their nat- their naturally go to sleep, basically. Um, because if you leave it on all night, it can you know chickens are very they have a small brain and uh, <laughs> they're, they're easily they're easily stressed out. And when you stress a chicken out with too much light, you know when they think they should be going to sleep. When they get stressed, they stop laying. It's a very, very um, simple idea. Stress causes your chickens to stop laying. Stress is a natural enemy of your of your chickens. Okay. Well, let's take one more break, and then when we come back, we'll shift gears just a little bit, and we'll talk a little bit about spring. Great. Sounds good. During calving season, your livestock operation really comes alive. On your ranch, be born ready with Powder River Livestock Handling Equipment, available at D&B Supply. For almost 80 years, Powder River has stood out as leaders in the livestock handling field with continuous equipment innovation to help ranchers work up close with their livestock safely and with minimal stress. When it's close to calving season, be prepared and check out the Powder River Homesteader Calving Deluxe Pin at D&B. An excellent multi-purpose health pen, this safe enclosure is optimally designed for calving and doctoring with a sweep gate, a bow gate, and a self-catching head gate to open up incredible access and control for calving assistance. To bring your calves into the world, then bring them upright, stop on by select D&B supply stores for Powder River Livestock Handling Equipment. The choice is 
A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark for hard-working and hard-playing people in the West, and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking, made-in-the-USA Danner boots at D&B Supply. During the Great Depression, the Danner Boot Company was founded on the stubborn belief that, regardless of the economy, superior craftsmanship mattered. Much has changed since the first Danner boot was made, but their dedication to crafting a superior product has not. Hold a Danner boot in your hand and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots to fashion-forward looks to fit your daily life, stop on by D&B Supply to try Danner boots on for size. All right, Dave. So now that we're back, I want to ask you about spring coming up. So, you know, that's on everybody's mind or it starts to get on everybody's mind around this time of year. But when we've had this cold and snowy of a winter, I think it gets on people's minds sooner because they're really looking forward to it. So I wanted to ask you, uh, for people who are going to want to be buying chicks uh, for broiler production later this spring, is there anything Mm -hmm. that they should be doing now, you know, early to mid-February to help them start getting ready for that? Well, so broiler chicks are, are a whole different ball of wax than your, than your layer chicks. So they are, their, their lifespan is much shorter. Uh, they're, they're in the realm of like an, a maximum of, of eight weeks from, from hatch to butcher. So the most important thing you can do if you're going to buy a, uh, and raise broiler chicks is make sure that you have everything set up that you need, which would be, some sort of a, you know, we call it a brooder box, but it can be whatever you want. A stock water tank with, with shavings on the bottom and heat lamps over the top of them to keep them warm and their feeder and waterer. It, it makes sure that you have the place you're going to keep them is all set up and ready for them and nice and warm when you bring them home. That's the key for all chicks, but broiler chicks specifically are pretty much, you know, they, they, grow to maximum size, uh, mm-hmm. by, by eight, by eight weeks. So you don't have them for very long. So you don't have to go through the whole thing you do with regular chickens of introducing them outside to the chicken coop and the other chickens. And you don't have to deal with all that. You need uh, uh, something that's big enough. Each chick needs, you know, at least a foot of square foot of floor space so that they're not overcrowded. And right. then they're going to get big fast. Those broiler chicks grow at an alarming rate, actually, sure. um, and do nothing but eat. So make sure you have the proper size tank based on how many you're gonna you're gonna get. If you want ten, don't try to keep them in a little you know square four foot square box. That's not gonna work for more than you know a few days to a week maximum. Okay. All right. Now, it, switching back to talking about laying hens, a lot of people will choose not to purchase and start their laying flock until the spring because. They want to start off, and, and if especially if they're going to be purchasing hens that are ready to start laying, they want to get that maximum productivity. They don't necessarily want to start this time of year. So what advice would you have for them in terms of preparations or what to have ready when they, they do bring those laying hens home or even chicks that they want to be layers later? Yeah, so the chicks, um, you know, if, if you go to, you know, the local farm store or D&B and you're buying, you know, the, the day-old chicks, Right. Same thing with the broiler chicks. You, you need to have their their brooder tank ready, warmed up. They grow much, much slower. So from from hatch to, you know, let's say five months ish is about when they're going to start laying, you know, sometime after 16 weeks, basically. So that's four months between, you know, 16 and 20 weeks. They're going to start laying eggs. So if you kind of do that math, if you get your chicks in, in the chick days kind of promotion period, you're going to be getting them, you know, late February, March. They're going to start laying out there at the end of the summer, which is about right. You know, August, September, they're going to start laying. So any way you slice it, it's going to be a little while. Okay. So with the, with the chicks, make sure that you have that tank and everything ready for them when you bring them home. Because you don't – you've got – until they're feathered, uh, which is going to be around eight weeks, let's say. And then you can take them outside to your chicken coop. So you don't have to have the coop ready if you're a first-time chicken owner. You don't have to have the coop ready immediately. You can get the chicks, get them home, get, keep them in their brooder, which can be out in your garage. That's fine with the heat lamp on them. And then, you know, when they're about eight weeks old, it's going to be spring a lot warmer. They'll have feathers. 
you can actually introduce them out to your chicken coop. So you have a little more time with the laying breeds than you do with the broilers for sure. Okay, great. Well, let's take another break. And then when we come back, I want to ask you a few questions about our 4-H and our FFA students as they start thinking about their fair projects for coming up this summer. Okay. Did you know that a horse's top line plays an important role in how that horse performs, looks, and feels? That's why Neutrina offers top line balance in select horse feeds, available at D&B Supply. While saddle fit, genetics, and exercise are most frequently blamed for a poor top line, nutrition actually plays the most critical role. Neutrina's top line balance fuels the muscles that support the spine from the neck to the hindquarters to improve performance, motion, and drive. Not all feeds are created equal, and not all feeds can improve a horse's top line. It took years of research and field trials to develop this unique approach to equine health. So look for the Top Line Balance logo on select Neutrina horse feeds. For a healthier top line, stop on by D&B Supply for Top Line Balance from Neutrina. Western homes and families, the choice is D&B. There's a price you pay to get away, to live outside the bounds. Is your dog's true nature shining through, along with a shiny coat, too? Find out by filling up your pet's bowl with Purina One True Instinct dog food, available at D&B Supply. Purina One True Instinct gets back to nature and back to basics. Inspired by your dog's gut instinct to naturally choose nutrient-dense food, the expert nutritionists at Purina One developed a recipe that puts pure protein front and center. The proof is printed right on the back of every True Instinct bag. First and foremost on the ingredient list, you'll find turkey, lamb, salmon, chicken, or other meaty treats. This protein-packed punch is paired with whole grains, vitamins, and antioxidants to provide complete and balanced nutrition for adult dogs. Let your dog's coat shine through by dishing out Purina One True Instinct Dog Food, available at your favorite D&B supply. All right, Dave. Well, let's let's wrap up the show by talking about 4-H and FFA. So my daughter just had her first 4-H meeting last night. She's obviously getting back into the mindset, and uh, it's it's getting to be that time as these these 4-H and FFA uh, members are starting to think about what their projects are going to be and, and how they're going to make it all happen for the fairs in the end of the summer. What advice do you have for them as they're starting to get prepared and starting to get going? Yeah, so the the you know the most important thing you can do for your 4H project whether i mean it doesn't matter what it is if it's a, if it's a pig or a goat or a lamb or a chicken you know what whatever it is make sure that you have the place that you're going to to basically keep it for pretty much its whole life right set up ready set up ready to go safe clean and easy to use for the animal because when it comes to 4-H animals, your number one enemy is going to be what, what I always call the management of that animal, but that basically means its environment, right? So if you're raising one in a stressful environment, which could be you know just the, the wrong conditions, if, if it's a lamb and it's in wet, muddy conditions, mm-hmm. it's just going to be stressed out. So it's not going to grow the way you want it to. So have your, your pen, your enclosure, whatever you want to call it, your feeders, um, its shelter, everything set up clean ready to go and easy to use so that when you bring the animal home, everything's ready to go and it's, and it's good to go. And then be aware of what kind of feed you're going to use, what brand and, you know, kind of, it doesn't hurt to figure out ahead of time, roughly how much you're going to need, because there's a couple of things that are also bad. A switching feed on a 4-H animal, you know, midstream is a bad idea because they, that can cause them to go off feed. Then they don't grow the way you want them to. So keep them on a consistent level of feed and a consistent amount. If I, you know, I can help with that too, you know, depending on the animal and the, you know, the, the Cargill feed Neutrina products, we know how many pounds it takes for one pound of gain on your animal. So we can really help you with the math as to, you know, from start to finish with your animal, how much feed you're going to need so that you don't run out and be proactive. Don't wait until you run out and then go to the store hoping mm-hmm. to buy it and find out that they're out of that feed, right? Right. So, so management with your 4-H animal is really important, as important as anything else, really. 
because that that is can can create stress. And as we said with chickens, same thing with your 4-H animals. Stress is their enemy because it can can cause them to to you know not gain like you want them to. Well, Dave, thank you very much for coming on again today and really appreciate you appearing again. Like I said at the beginning, you had so much great information that we didn't want to leave any of it out. And that's why we did a second episode. And I just can't thank you enough for doing two with us. You bet, Matt. It was my pleasure. Maybe in the springtime, we can do another one and and, uh, talk about, you know, animals from maybe a different angle, different time of year, different needs they might have. Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that second interview with Dave Ferris. And let's get you into our bonus content right after these messages. What takes a licking to keep livestock ticking? Vitalix high-quality natural feed supplements for cattle, horses, sheep, and goats found in convenient blue tubs at D&B Supply. Fortified with natural proteins, vegetable oil, vitamins, and highly available minerals, Vitalix proves that all tubs are not created equal. A molasses-based supplement made from the best all-natural ingredients with moisture removed using a unique process, Vitalix is not chemically hardened like lesser products. That means your critters consume Vitalix at about half the rate, giving you and your livestock more bang for the buck. This is the convenient, weatherproof way to ramp up the performance of your animals. Whether you're providing routine nutrition or controlling the impact of stress from competition, weaning, drought, or quality forage, or more, you'll see the healthy changes in your herd with everything from better coats to brighter eyes. Look for the blue Vitalix tubs at DNB Supply. The choice is Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat, available at D&B Supply. Founded on the belief that riders are athletes, Ariat combines technology and engineering with the goal of making the highest quality footwear and apparel riders will ever put on. Every stitch of Ariat gear is made to last and looks timelessly in style to boot. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop on by your favorite D&B supply. Joining us now is Shelly Paxton. She is a large animal buyer for DNB Supply. And as she was describing to me what a large animal buyer does, she's told me anything that goes in or on an animal, she's responsible for. So, Shelly, welcome to the show and thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to you. And as, as you know, we're talking all about taking care of our animals in cold weather, especially considering the unprecedented winter that uh, we have been having this year in our region. So we were going to kind of focus in on what you could tell us about in terms of some of our smaller animals, chickens, goats, rabbits, things like that, and and what to, to do with them during these cold times. But before we do that, what I'd like to do is kind of introduce you to our audience. And I wonder if you could tell us just a little bit about yourself and how long you've been with DNB and what your journey has been that's led you to this position right now in this time in your life. Well, I started out working for a veterinarian when I was in high school, worked for him all the way through college, and then got hired by a company who had on-staff veterinarians, and I worked in their animal health and feed division for 20 years. So I worked with everything from dairy cattle, feedlot cattle, horses, and then I came to DMB about a year and a half ago and went to the retail side, which includes more rabbit and poultry than what I'd been around. So I have actually gone back for my nutrition degree. So my first section was, of uh, course, poultry, and then second was small ruminant. So that's kind of what I've been studying, and that's why this kind of ties right into it. Excellent. Well, I've got to tell you, you told me you're going for your nutrition degree. I kept two textbooks from my time in college, and one of those is Feeds and Feeding. And the only reason I kept that nutrition textbook is I promised myself someday I would finally understand it, but I have not got to that point. That's a very complex topic. It is. It depends on what kind of animal we're talking about because the stomachs are so different. And then, you know, you got your poultry who has a craw versus a ruminant. So, yeah, it's a very, very complex 
by far. <laughs> Definitely. Now, did you grow up around livestock and, and farm animals and things like that, or was that an interest that you developed later? Um, no, I have been addicted to animals ever since I was a little girl. Raised around, I mean, I was raised in a lumber community, but we had a lot of, I had seven century farms, so I was around cattle, horses, sheep, goats, um, raised, and then, of course, my own animals. And then once I moved to Idaho, I've pretty much had my little herd everywhere I go. Excellent. Well, that sounds like a fun life, and, and I... Yeah, I think I just had it dawn on me probably in the last two years how much I like animals. I mean, I always have known I wanted to have cattle and always known I wanted to have animals. But now we've got kind of a menagerie running around our place and I realize, oh, I'm one of those people. I really like animals. So I totally get where you're coming from. Well, and it's nice to have a mix. Like, you know, the one thing I don't have yet is an alpaca, but I hope to add that to the mix someday because... I mean, they're just all so different, have their own personalities, their own characteristics, and they're, they're just fascinating to watch. Well, they are interesting animals, and I've got zero exposure to alpacas and, and nothing with, with llamas either or anything like that. So it would be very interesting to, to learn kind of their little intricacies and how they behave and, and what it's like to be around those animals as well. Well, let's, let's talk about cold weather. So let's okay. let's start off, I guess let's start off with, and I, I'm not going to say simple, let's start off with something that a lot of people have, and that is chickens. What can we be doing for our chickens in these cold temps and, and all this snow and things like that? Actually, in cold temps, no matter what animal you have, the number one priority is a clean, fresh water supply. Okay. So it doesn't matter if you're talking chickens, goats, sheep, rabbits. The one thing people don't realize is animals consume more water in the winter because they aren't out on good, you know, forage where they get moisture out of the grasses and et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so, like, my do- just my chickens, their water intake is double daily during this winter season. Fresh water is always important no matter what the animal is. But the other thing, people, is you think about as cold as it is, you want a water that is at least room temperature in the sense of, you know, how do you, you know, it's not like it's a hot summer day and you want a cold glass of water. So the other thing is also by feeding them or giving them the warm water, that helps with their temperature as well. So they're not having to take that cold water. They're actually drinking a lukewarm water, and it kind of helps, you know, temperature-wise for their internal body. You know, no matter what animal, there's three things that are important, and that's water, dry bedding, and shelter. I mean, those are the three most important things that you can do for your animal, and especially in the wintertime. Because you think about, you know, we're out in the hills hunting on a cold day, that wind just zaps you. And if you're, you know, cold, wet, you kind of now know what an animal feels like staying outside. Sure. So, yeah. So the biggest thing is clean, fresh water. Second thing is, is dry bedding. I mean, I know that's not always the easiest to do, especially with the, the weather we've had. And we're about to have, you know, when this starts breaking, putting straw down because the one thing you need to do is keep all of these small animals as dry as possible Mm -hmm. because with these temperatures when they're wet i mean that is the number two thing is dry bedding um shelter is important but i know that you know there's not everything you know not everybody has a barn not everybody has a shed so you may have a rabbit hutch but if you can at least cut the wind down on it so that that cuts down stress on the animal like my chickens you know, on the winter, I I have winter covers. So in the summer, the windows are open, so I have fresh air. In the winter, I close the window. You want nothing airtight. Because the other thing is, is all these animals will put off heat. Mm-hmm. Like chickens, I mean, it's like having a, a 60-watt light bulb. You can watch your chickens, and if you've got your coop too hot, they'll start spreading their wings out because they're trying to cool themselves down. Then in the wintertime, you'll get ice accumulation underneath them. The nest will get icy because they're sweating. You don't want too much wind on them, but you don't want it so airtight that it's hot and muggy. Mm -hmm. Because the problem is, is you get them too wet, and then they get out in that breeze. No matter if it's a rabbit or sheep or goat, I mean, you've always got that risk of respiratory disease. Rule of thumb is, is you don't want to keep your animal like your chickens. I try to keep them no warmer than 10 degrees than what it is outside, which your standard heat bulb keeps them about at that because then their body gives off the heat of a 60-watt light bulb. So they're staying warmer than what the building may feel. 
but you don't want a huge variance because when you start dipping 20 and 30 degrees, you're getting yourself to a dangerous point where you could start having health issues. Basically, it's water, dry bedding, and shelter. Those are the three main things. But the, you know, the other thing, if you can supplement them because weather is stressful, whether it's hot weather, cold weather, I mean, anything that stresses an animal can drop their immunity. So what I tell a lot of people is like this time of year, like I'm giving mine probiotics, prebiotics, because I know that they can be stressed. And so by giving them those products, I can help prevent any problem that, you know, might occur because of the drastic weather we're having. Okay. And unfortunately, like right now, the other thing is like checking their feet and their combs for frostbite. Okay. You know, you think about that skin tissue, which is totally exposed. There really aren't feathers there to protect it. And so, you know, if they are out where they get wet, especially when we're down to negative degrees, you have that risk of them catching, getting frostbite on either their comb or their feet. And now I did want to ask you about the snow as well. So what I've noticed with our chickens since since we first got chickens about 2011 is that when it mm-hmm. snows, they will stay holed up in uh in the laying shed and yeah but after like this winter where we've gone on for weeks and weeks and weeks with snow on the ground now all of a sudden when the sun comes out the chickens say that's it we're tired of being in here and they're trying to get out and i bet our cows pretty close to our chickens with straw so they'll get out and they'll scratch through the straw and stuff like that so they obviously get tired of being cooped up and uh, oh, yeah. is there anything we can do when it snows to help them get back outside, or is it just a matter of waiting on the weather? Well, it kind of depends on your commitment to it. The way I look at it is I chose the animals. They didn't choose me. Sure. And so with my animals, I'm mean, off the coop. I built a covered run in the sense of it's just galvanized wire panels that I've made an arch and covered with a tarp for the winter. Okay. So what that allows them to do is, they have a dry area to go into. They still have dirt in there to play to do their bathing, and they still are getting out of the coop somewhat. But you're right. Until that sun hits them, mine still, they'll go to the door, they'll stand in the sun, but they will not come out into the snow. I've bladed my snow down, so like now that they're starting to find some bald spots, they'll go stand in the bald spot. But when the wind kicks up, they'll go back in. That's the, I mean, unfortunately, yes, they have to be, cooped up at this point in time and they're going stir crazy like the rest of us yeah that's right they're getting uh whatever the equivalent to cabin fever for a chicken is they're getting it exactly (laughs) and the other thing that i find that helps some people do it some people don't i do with mine but only because of the hours i work and basically i leave in the dark and i come home in the dark i leave a light bulb on for the chicken coop so they get at least 14 hours of daylight a day as you go into the winter time and they have less daylight, they'll start dropping off in egg production, which is fine. I mean, for me too, I don't care that they go through that part, but the other part is I love the daylight. I love the sunshine and I know they do too. So I just give them more artificial light throughout the winter to help them get through that period. That's well, another thing. I mean, and, and I suggest that to a lot of people, like if you have them where you're especially going to keep them cooped up in a dark place where they can't get outside, at least give them some unnatural light so at least they kind of feel like they're going through the daylight season or sure. going through the, you know, like the sun up, sun down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's different than a heat lamp. You're just talking about ambient light. Yeah, I just take actually what I use in my garage or I, you know, the, uh, like you're going to hang on a hood when you work under a car. Yep. Those kind of. I have those hanging in the barn in two areas, and then I just use those uh, energy-efficient light bulbs in them. Mm-hmm. So all I'm doing is putting off a soft white glow, not for heat, not for anything more than just giving them some more light in a day. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I bought a fancy hanging light, but that would have worked just perfect. Now, I want to ask you about goats as well, and that's something that we haven't talked about yet on this episode Mm -hmm. is goats, but Mm -hmm. they are, as far as I can tell, at least at our place, they are the most weather-affected animal we've got on the place, meaning anything other than sunshine and warm temperatures, they seem to get really annoyed. Yes, yes. But you think, you know, you look at a cow and a horse, they're built for being outdoors. I mean, they're built you know, body score, fat, hair, but then you get to goats and, you know, not that 
it, they have a lot more respiratory issues than cattle and horse do. They're more sensitive. I mean, especially once you get into the cold weather because they can get, you know, well, think of it, lice is an issue right now in this area because of the weather we're having. Lice and mites are horrible right now. Mm-hmm. It's because they're confined. They're rubbing up against things. They're rubbing up against each other. And those parasites just love a nice warm body on these cold winter days. Mm-hmm. So the thing I see with goats and, you know, they've got a different hoof in the sense of the way they don't stand up as far out. They don't have the near the hair condition on a leg like a horse or a cow does. So they are just a lot more sensitive to cold weather. With them, it is extremely, extremely important to get them in a shelter with dry bedding because they don't handle the cold or the winter, wet winters like cattle and horse do. Okay. Yeah, it's always fun, and and my wife and my daughter and I all do the same thing at our place. Uh, Whenever rain is coming in, you know, if you look Mm -hmm. outside and you can't quite tell if it started raining, all of a sudden we'll see all the goats making a beeline uh, for their shelter area, and you know that it's just barely sprinkling, but they're like, that's it, we're Mm out of here. It's real interesting to watch them because they've got personality, and then they all have their little traits, like some are – fence jumpers and some are fence openers and two you know there's you got your dairy goats you got your meat goats and then you just have your farm goats is what i call them Uh which are more pets than than practical and you look at the different breeding and what they're bred for like dairy goats you know they're bred strictly for milk production so you want all the energy and everything all the feed you want it going into the bag because you want milk off of them the meat goat, you want all the energy to go in to your meat production. So really when you're feeding these animals to be lean machines, there isn't a lot of excess on them as far as fat goes. Right. So, you know, that's another thing is, is they don't have a fat buildup like cows do. Um, and the way, you know, you look at what a goat eats versus what a cow eats per day or drinks versus what a cow drinks per day, it's a totally different consumption rate. So it's not like, you know, I think that's why the goats during depression years have always been the animal of choice because they are such a low dollar maintenance and they aren't, they don't have to eat as much as cows do and they aren't as expensive as cows are. And, you know, then I think once people started raising goats, they realized how easy they are to work with mm-hmm. so they've just become more and more of the backyard farmer yeah absolutely i will confess that i, I never intended in my whole life to have goats i, I wanted to have cattle <laughs> and when we bought our place there was no fencing on it yet so my wife and daughter wanted something immediately and so we bought uh, some electric netting and we got a few goats and mm-hmm. as time went on uh, i realized that i well, the multi-species grazing with goats, I think, is great. Uh, now they graze with our cattle, and it really makes for a better mm-hmm. pasture. And uh, there's a lot of demand for goats that I didn't know was there, and they are easy to raise and easy to handle. The inputs into them uh, are much less compared to the cattle, and especially compared to our pigs. So uh, I actually really enjoy having them now uh, just for the diversity like you were talking about, but also uh, because it's kind of a hedge. There's a there's definitely a a demand for them and and now we <clears throat> excuse me now we consume our own goats as well and uh have gotten mm-hmm. used to eating the goat meat i think it's it's fine meat mm-hmm. you know goats are what we call the economical animal in the sense of goats can be sold for meat they can be sold for milk they can be sold for breeding But then you look at the milk itself, then you can make cheese, you can make soaps, lotions. I mean, and if you have a child with any kind of allergies, a goat is the best thing to have because a goat is hyperallergenic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the goat has, you know, I think the stigma people have always had with goats because, yes, they can be smelly and especially the bucks. Right. But the health benefits of a goat, I mean, they're low fat. They have other byproducts. You know, I really didn't get deep into the goats because there weren't as many goats in my area. I was raised in a high sheep area. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I came to Idaho, I started working because we have several bands here that I started working with goats a lot. 
And then once I started making, I went and took a cheese class and learned how to make goat cheese. And I was just amazed at all the things you could do with goat milk. It was like I never thought about making my own soaps and lotions. And, you know, I knew about the hyperallergenic because there's so many kids with milk allergies. So, right. yeah, it's a goat is pretty, I have to say, multifaceted. <laughs> well, you're, you're 100% right. I had a guest on my, my own podcast or my other podcast, and they had moved from the East Coast to Ohio, and she had kids with allergies so she wanted to feed them goat milk and so she bought goats and started milking them and feeding them goat milk and she had the same kind of discoveries that you did and started producing these different products lotions candy and things like that with the goat milk and now their whole family that's all they do for a living it has bloomed into this great great business where they're very very successful they've been on like good morning america and things like that just talking about everything they do with their goats so you're right unbelievably versatile Yep. Yes, they are. All right. Well, now, you were telling me that you raise rabbits as well, and you do that for the meat consumption. And, of course, uh-huh. there's people raise rabbits for all sorts of different reasons. But what can we do, be doing for our rabbits in these temperatures? Um, most people keep their rabbit outside just because of the, the mess that they make. So the big thing with rabbits, no matter what it is, meat or pet, is one dry shelter. Most rabbit hutches, if they have a dry place to get out of the weather, again, water, number one. Two, dry shelter. And, you know, three, give them more feed because rabbits will bulk up for the winter. They will put on fat. Just like you look at a rabbit and your cat. Your cat furs up, he gets fat because he's putting on his winter weather. Mm Mm-hmm. Rabbits are basic at the same thing. If they're a pet, the fat's not such a concern. But in a meat rabbit, you don't want to get them too fat because then when you butcher them, you've got to deal with all the fat in the lining of the skin, which makes them harder to butcher. Okay. Um, but then, I mean, the biggest thing with them is just keeping them sheltered out of the elements and fresh water and dry bedding. Well, this is great. Is there anything about rabbits that, that I forgot to ask that we should cover for our listeners? Um, I always check my rabbit's ears because, um, then again, I mean, cause you, you think about any animal, cats, dogs, rabbits, anything that's outside in the elements, when they curl up in their body heat, they're rounded up pretty good, but the exposed areas are heads to, and tails. So one thing I do with all my animals, cats, dogs, whoever, even the rabbits, I always check their ears because ears can frostbite. Okay. So it's kind of like when, you know, I drop a newborn calf. First thing I do is check to make sure it's up and sucking. And second, I check its ears to make sure they're not freezer burn or frozen. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with my rabbits. I just make sure that their ears are not to that stage. But generally, I'm pretty good because in the sense I do the same thing. I give them um, heat lamps when it gets to a certain degree. I don't keep them too much temperature difference between inside and outside. So then when they're coming in and out of their bedding, they're not getting hit by a 30-degree variance. Okay. So it's just the same principle thing is when it's super cold, give them some heat source. I mean, now there's so many great products. Like when I was a kid, we didn't have heated bedding mats for Uh animals. Right. All we had were heat lamps, which, you know, now you've got these great mats, especially, you know, for dog houses and chicken coops. They've got all these great products that you can just put in there that is like a gigantic heated blanket for them to sit on, perch on, lay on for the rabbits. Like if I had, my rabbits are in a great area where they, they have a heat lamp. But if I didn't have the setup I have, I would actually use the new heated pads because they come in different shapes and sizes. They're totally washable. You can actually set waters on them. You know, people who are concerned with the glass bulbs and fire hazards of that. Another option, there's so many, you know, heated pet bowls. Mm-hmm. They've got now heated blankets. The newest thing that's coming out that I'm looking at here in a couple of weeks is they're now actually making a heated chicken perch. Really? So, yeah. So I'm going to be looking at that actually tomorrow. And so it will hold hens and it is just so that it was a heat to their feet, which makes sense because of the blood flow and circulation of a chicken Mm -hmm. going through the feet and stuff, that makes total sense where it's not getting them scalding hot, but it's keeping their feet in a nice warm consistency, which helps. So I'm excited to see that. You know, we used to use calf touches all the time, depending, you know, with the weather like this. 
So those new blankets are great because you can almost turn anything into a calf hutch, lamb hutch, kid hutch, rabbit. I mean, you can just put anything on them because it's just like having that nice, warm, heated blanket. Sure. And I apologize if you already answered this, but where do you keep your rabbits this time of year? So in ter- like what kind of shelter do you provide them? So my rabbits are in a hut, so they're compartments. So they have an open hutch that's got three sides where they have airflow, but then the hutch part where they sleep is totally enclosed. So they have a, a door that walks in between the two. So what I have is a breezeway that I built, and so the, the rabbits are in there year-round, so that way they're shaded in the summer and protected in the winter. So what I did was that is also where the chickens can come out in the winter. So I've got like this open run I made with wire panels with an arch ceiling, and then I put a tarp up so they get shade in the summer and they get protection in the winter. My last place, I actually had a uh, lean-to that came off, and so it was enclosed on the back side and the two sides. And then what I would do in the winter is just put a tarp up so the direct wind wasn't coming in. It just kind of depends on what your situation is, how you can do it. I mean, even just putting a tarp to cut the wind down on them is huge. For me, I've got a breezeway that I built that benefits everybody. If I can bring a a baby goat in there if I need to, and I've got a little pin set up in there so I can put someone in there with a heat lamp. It just kind of depends on how your setup is, what you can do. I mean, yes, I use my garage. I've raised and taken care of I don't know how many animals in the garage because when it gets really bad, you need somewhere that you can put them for safety. Garage works great. Well, what other animals should we discuss that I haven't asked you about? When it comes to winter, all animals are the same. If people have got horses, you want to make sure they've got a fresh water supply. Horses, you know, when we get into that negative, like, my horses, I throw a blanket on them once we get into the negative. But once we get back up, I take the blankets right off because I don't want mine herring up. But that's a person personal choice. Everything, you know, everybody has a different way to handle different things and what works best for them. So like for me, I only use blankets in severe weather. The rest of the time, they're not covered. But the one thing I'm adamant about is that their tanks are de-iced. The water is, you know, got a heater in it so it's not freezing cold water. And then I always make sure that I supplement any of my animals. Because like right now, you know, you've got them calving, kidding, lambing. So you've got people that those mamas need energy back into them. So like this, I'd be supplementing them with some kind of a supplement. Like the cows, I'd put some kind of a protein block out there with them on top of the forage they're eating. The goats, I have goat pails. So I put a like a supplement pail out with the goats. So pretty much this time of year... I just make sure that their beds are dry, they've got plenty of water, and then I give them a high-protein supplement. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and spending the time. I think this is really great information to give out to people. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you all for joining us today, and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DMB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.